Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Dead America, Cincinnati. Dead America, the second week, book four. Written by Derek Slayton. Narrated by P.J. Morgan. Chapter One. Day Zero Plus Ten. Fire! Fire! Somebody yelled as thick black smoke poured out of a storeroom at Cincinnati Stadium. Screams erupted in the crowd, and several men in military uniforms rushed forward with fire extinguishers. Move! One of them demanded, trying to avoid barreling over a young couple in his way. Two of his comrades reached the doorway first and sent a sea of foam into the large room, but the two extinguishers didn't do much to stop the inferno inside. We need water, one of the men cried. Now! One of his teammates tore off down the outer corridor, frantically searching for a fire hose. One of the straggling civilians waved him over in the distance, pointing to a hose box he'd spotted on the wall. The man in uniform nodded his thanks and threw open the door, taking the long hose off of its hook. You wait 30 seconds, he instructed the civilian. Then open this bitch up full blast, you got it? The man nodded sternly. I'm on it. The military man threw the coil of hose over his arm, making sure that it would unravel as he ran, and tore off back towards the storeroom. He held the nozzle tightly at the ready, anticipating a strong flow and kickback. The hose tightened and straightened, and fired almost as hard as a gun when the stream hit. The man grunted as he kept it steady, the water immediately hissing as it began to douse the inside of the storeroom. Steam wafted out the open doorway, and he stepped closer to try to aim farther into the room. The smoke and soot soon overwhelmed him, and he dropped to one knee, coughing as he tried to keep the hose steady. A rough hand clamped down on his shoulder and pulled him back. Somebody took the hose and continued to spray the blaze while he gasped for air. What in the good goddamn is going on here? A stern voice snapped, and the man recognized it as Captain Hopkins, the military leader at the Cincinnati Stadium shelter. F fire in the store, storeroom, sir. The man on the ground gasped. The captain paled when he realized that the black plumes were coming from the particular storeroom that had held six months of military rations. The supply that was supposed to last the 1,500 residents while they waited for the greenhouses to start producing food. Fuck, Hopkins muttered and motioned for a nearby civilian to come over to them. You, get this man to the field hospital. It's outside of section 213. The man nodded and looped the gasping soldier's arm over his broad shoulders, helping him to his feet. Hopkins clenched his jaw as he watched two soldiers continue to battle the blaze, one with the hose at a safe distance and the other with a fresh extinguisher. The captain turned to a wide-eyed woman next to him. You he barked, and she jumped, but turned to him, back straightening. When that fire is out, you tell my men I need an immediate status report. Can you handle that? She nodded jerkily. Yes, sir, 
she replied. Good, he said. Make sure they understand the immediate part, and they know where my office is. I'll handle it, she assured him. Hopkins strode off quickly, snatching his walkie-talkie from his belt as he moved. Bud, it's Hopkins, come in. There was a crackle from the receiver. This is Bud. I need you to find Corporal Strickland, the captain said, and the both of you need to get to my office immediately. Bud paused and then came back. I believe Corporal Strickland is leading a team training exercise at the moment. I don't care what he's doing, Hopkins snapped. We have a situation, and you two need to get to my office now. This time, Bud was far more prompt. Yes, sir, we'll be right there. Hopkins clipped the radio back to his belt and stepped up to the railing on the second floor. He leaned on both of his hands, clenching his jaw as he looked out over the city. The sun was just coming up over the horizon, bathing the skyscrapers in hues similar to the flames consuming their rations at that moment. It would have been beautiful had it been any other morning, but this was the apocalypse, and it was often hard to find beauty in the apocalypse. Beneath the fiery glow of what would otherwise be a breathtaking sunrise were rotting corpses wandering the streets, feasting on human flesh. It was enough to put a damper on such a peaceful sight. As if on cue, moans and groans echoed up to the captain, and he looked down at the sea of zombies pressed up against the concrete wall of the stadium below. His presence had excited them, it seemed, and they reached up, milky dead eyes unblinking, mouths open, and bloody saliva running down their chins. I don't know how we're going to get past you motherfuckers, Hopkins growled, clenching a fist. But we're gonna do it, one way or another. Chapter Two Hopkins sat down at his desk, a piping hot cup of coffee already waiting for him. Thank the heavens for good secretaries, even in the apocalypse. He reached into the bottom drawer of his desk and pushed back some folders, rummaging for the large bottle of whiskey hidden there. He unscrewed the cap and poured a generous dollop into his coffee. That kind of morning, Captain? Bud asked as he strolled in through the open door. Hopkins took a long sip of his brew before returning the bottle to his desk. Where's Corporal Strickland? He's on his way, the older man replied, pulling out a chair to sit in. His chocolate skin shone under the fluorescent lights as he cocked his head. What's going on? You look downright spooked. The captain reached over and hit the speaker button on his phone. Kathy, can you please bring us two more cups of coffee? He asked and leave room in them, please. Yes, sir, Kathy replied immediately. I appreciate the gesture, Captain, Bud said, leaning forward. But you know I'm not a big drinker. Hopkins shook his head. You will be. He ran his hands through his thinning hair and sighed. Kathy reached the office door at the same time as Corporal Strickland, a fit man in his mid-thirties. He shot her an award-winning smile, his teeth blinding pearls behind cinnamon skin. Thanks, I've got those, he said, taking the two steaming mugs from her. She nodded her thanks and headed back to her post, and he entered the office, setting the cups on the desk. Apologies for being late, Captain, he said gruffly. I was in the middle of a training exercise and had to pass it off. Please, Corporal, sit, Hopkins said, waving to the empty chair next to Bud. 
Strickland sat down, and the captain pulled out his bottle again, topping up the coffee cups with whiskey. The corporal furrowed his scarred brow. I've seen this movie before. How bad is it? About 20 minutes ago, there was a fire in the MRE storage room, Hopkins said. His two guests remained silent, and then reached for their mugs, each taking a long sip. It was Bud who broke the silence, his face somber. How extensive is the damage? I'm waiting on the final report. The captain shook his head. But based on the smoke I saw pouring out of there, we're going to have to assume it's a total loss. If we are able to salvage anything, it won't be enough to sustain the people we have here for very long. What about the greenhouses? Strickland asked, leaning forward. Bud shook his head. They're still weeks away from being able to produce anything meaningful, he said. Hell, we don't even have them all built up yet. Well, the corporal sighed. What are you thinking, Captain? Hopkins took a deep breath. I'm waiting to be patched through to D.C. My hope is that they can airdrop us some supplies to get us through. And if they can't, Strickland asked. You're gonna have to go out and get us some, Hopkins said. Which is why I wanted you here. You're my field team leader, so you ask whatever questions you need to. The corporal nodded gravely. Understood. Captain Hopkins, Kathy's voice came through the speakerphone. I have John Teeter on line two for you. He pushed the button to reply to her. Thank you, Kathy, he said, and then flipped over to the phone channel. Hello, John, are you there? He asked. I am, Captain, John replied. And you're also on the line with my top researcher, Whitney Hill. Captain, a female voice added. Miss Hill, Hopkins greeted her. You are also on the line with Bud, the civilian manager of this facility, and Corporal Strickland, who is my field team operator. Gentlemen, John replied. So Kathy has informed us that you had an emergency, but was sparse on the details. You want to give me the nickel version? Because I have a lot of fires we're trying to put out at the moment. Understood. The captain sighed. We had a fire in our storeroom. It's still being put out based on what I witnessed. I'm going off the assumption that it's a total loss. John waited a beat before asking, a total loss of what? Food and medicine, Hopkins replied. What the fuck, Captain? John exclaimed. Why was everything kept in one storage room? Because this is a small facility, and we're still in the process of setting things up, Hopkins snapped, unamused with the tone the man had taken with him. Frankly, it doesn't matter at this point, does it? John let out a long breath. No, I suppose it doesn't. He paused. How can we help? Well, we need food and medicine, the captain replied. Is an airdrop in the cards? I'm afraid not, John replied. All of our assets are being moved to the northwest for an offensive. There isn't a ship or plane within a thousand miles of you. Hopkins clasped his hands tightly around his coffee mug. What about trucks? I know there are a lot of forces in Kansas. Yes, there are, John agreed. And we're in the process of creating caravans to get supplies out to survivors. It would take us weeks for us to get anything to you. The captain scowled. Why in the hell is it going to take weeks to get us supplies by truck? There was a shuffle and some muffled speech as the two on the other end spoke quietly. Well, Whitney finally said, clearing her throat. 
This has been kept under wraps for fear of destroying morale within our East Coast facilities. So what I'm about to tell you does not leave the room. Are we clear on that point, Captain? Hopkins leaned back in his chair and took a sip of his coffee. Depends on what you're about to tell me, he finally said. She sighed. A few days ago, the decision was made to seal off the East Coast by destroying the bridges over the Mississippi River. What? Hopkins slammed his mug down on his desk, coffee sloshing over the sides as he leaned over the phone, eyes wide. Who was the stupid motherfucker that came up with that bright idea? I'm that stupid motherfucker, Whitney declared. There was an uncomfortable silence between both parties, and the normally forceful captain had no idea how to respond to that. Before you have an aneurysm trying to think of some way to recover from that outburst, Whitney continued, let me assure you it was done so after careful consideration and a lot of debate. This was not a decision that was made lightly. We are in a very difficult situation, and if we don't do everything just right, we run the risk of becoming extinct. Oh, and in case you think we're sacrificing you for the greater good, remember that we're on the East Coast too, she added. Hopkins put a hand to his forehead. Miss Hill, he said hoarsely, you have my apologies. No apology necessary, she assured him. Now we did leave up a select handful of bridges so we can get supplies across, but they are all to the south, so it's going to take time to get stuff to you. How long do you think you can hold out? He shook his head. I don't know yet, but possibly only a few days worth of food. In that case, we're going to have to find you a local source of supplies, John put in. I'll have my team pull up some current satellite imagery of the area and get it sent over within the next few minutes, Whitney said. That should help you scout. Strickland leaned forward, leaning his elbows on his knees. This is Corporal Strickland, he cut in. What about the area military bases? I know they were pulling supplies for us. Surely they still have some left. It's unknown how much they may or may not have on hand, John replied. However, I do know they were both overrun by massive hordes. They were slated to be evacuated, but only a handful made it out. Strickland took a deep breath. Well, this just keeps getting better and better. There was another shuffle on the other end, and some inaudible chatter in the distance. Gentlemen, my apologies, but we're getting pulled into a meeting with the president, John said. Whitney's team will have those satellite images over to you in a few minutes. Once we're out of this meeting, we'll devote some time and resources to seeing how we can help you boys out further. Thank you, John, Hopkins said. And please give our thanks to Miss Hill as well. Will do, came the reply. Good luck. There was a click as the line went dead, and all three men fell silent for a few moments. Bud took a deep swig of his coffee. So, we're on our own, huh? He asked. Wouldn't be the first time the government's done this to us. Strickland muttered. Okay, Hopkins piped up. While we wait on the sat imagery, I need you to do me a favor, bud. What do you need, Captain? The civilian leader asked. We sure as hell ain't driving out of here, Hopkins said. So we need to know what those choppers on the infield are going to be able to do for us. I'll get one of the mechanics up here, Bud assured him, getting to his feet. Hopkins put up a hand. We're also going to need someone familiar with the area, It'll help immensely if we know what's inside the buildings we're looking at. I'll be right back, Bud promised, and left the office. Strickland's shoulders straightened. What do you want me to do, Captain? He asked. 
Figure out who your team is, Hopkins instructed. It's going to be a max load of six in that chopper if we want to bring back supplies. We may only have one trip if a horde gets wind of you. I can work with six, the corporal said. I know you can, Hopkins nodded firmly. Just be back in 15. Strickland stood and saluted. Yes, sir. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Chapter 3 Fifteen minutes later, Strickland had returned, and Kathy was just refilling his mug when Bud approached the office with two civilians in tow, a man and a woman. Captain, are you ready for us? Bud asked, knocking on the doorframe. Hopkins stood up. Please, come in. Who do we have here? Gentlemen, let me introduce Paul Huffman, Bud said, stepping aside to reveal a stout man in his fifties, with a quite prominent bald spot shining in the fluorescent lights. He's my lead mechanic and has been heading up the maintenance on the two helicopters. The captain pursed his lips. Why is a civilian working on military hardware? Because the boys your higher-ups assigned to this facility know jack shit about helicopters, Paul said gruffly before Bud could answer. Hopkins raised an eyebrow. And you do? Yes, sir, I do, his guest replied, puffing out his chest a bit. I've been flying for the better part of three decades, and I run Huffman's Sky Tours out in Harrison. Been working on choppers longer than some of these boys have been alive. The captain nodded and extended his hand to shake. Good enough for me he replied, and motioned for the man to sit down. And who is this young lady? Jean McCormick, the woman said, stepping forward to offer her hand to him. She looked to be in her early thirties, her petite face framed by mousy blonde hair. I grew up in Beavis, which is northwest of the city. I spent the last eight years running the shipping department for the Supercenter chain, so I'm pretty familiar with everything in the area. Hopkins nodded. Good, pleasure to meet you, he said and returned to his seat. Has Bud filled you in on what's going on? Yes, sir, he has, Paul replied. Good. The captain turned on the monitor behind him. Then you know what we're up against. Kathy filled coffee cups for the three latecomers, and then retreated from the office, closing the door gently behind her. The monitor showed a map of the southern portion of the area on the other side of the river. Bud furrowed his brow as he leaned against the wall, allowing Jean to take the last empty seat. Why can't we see the interstate? Because those things have completely clogged it, Hopkins replied. I did a quick sweep of the surrounding areas down south, and it pretty much looks the same, so we can mark out everything on that side of the river. Beavis might be a good target, Jean piped up. It's north, northwest of the city, maybe 15 miles as the crow flies. That's a little too close for comfort, Strickland put in. Population is still pretty thick. We need to get out in the sticks if we're gonna pull this off. You know of anything that's closer to 60 or 70 miles out? 
Paul barked a hysterical laugh, seemingly out of nowhere. Hopkins shot him an annoyed glance. Something funny? Oh no, the older man ran a hand over his bare head. It's actually quite horrifying. He took a deep breath to compose himself. Whoever flew the bird last was not only a shitty pilot, cause let me tell you these babies are dinged up to hell, but they are also quite forgetful. The captain clasped his hands in front of him on his desk. What did they forget to do? Paul gulped. Fill it up with gas. There was a tangible silence for a few moments, as what he'd said sank in. So, Strickland finally said, clearing his throat. Let us in on your little secret. How bad is it? He shrugged. I've pulled the fuel from both, and my best guess is that we have, maybe, eight minutes of flight time, possibly less depending on the damage. The corporal couldn't hold back his own bitter laugh, leaning back in his chair in defeat. Bud shook his head. Not to worry, though, we have gas pumps on site. But are they stocked with aviation fuel? Paul asked. Bud furrowed his brow. Well, no. Well, you might as well say you have a water hose, because it would be just as effective as the gas you have, Paul replied, letting out a deep whoosh of breath. Christ, Strickland hissed. Do we even have enough to get us to Beavis? Paul nodded. Yeah, we do. However, if y'all don't mind, I have another suggestion. The corporal waved for him to continue. By all means, go ahead. We're making this shit up as we go anyway. Captain, Paul prompted, turning to face the monitor again. Can you please pull up the I-74 and 275 interchange? Hopkins slid the remote for the monitor across the desk to the aviation specialist. Paul picked it up and raised an eyebrow, confused. Consider yourself promoted, the captain declared, and leaned back in his chair with his coffee cup to watch. Paul turned the remote over in his hand. But I'm not in the military. Consider yourself drafted then, Hopkins amended, waving a flippant hand. Paul shook his head in bewilderment. I can work with that. He fumbled with the remote and then finally figured out how to move the arrows to properly scan the map. He zoomed in on the intersection he'd been looking for. We need to find a landing zone somewhere south of here. This intersection is halfway between Beavis and my town of Harrison. Now while some of you boys head up to Beavis and the Supercenter, I can lead another group to my workshop. Two teams, Strickland cut in. You know we can only take six people with us, right? Splitting up is incredibly dangerous. What do you have in your workshop that's so important? Paul stared at him. An aviation fuel truck. Hopkins smacked a hand down on his desk. Okay, two teams it is then. Bud, please radio to Horowitz and have him ready to fly. Yes, sir, Bud replied, pushing off of the wall. Whoa, whoa, Paul put his hands up. Was he the dingus that flew in here? Because that boy shouldn't be going anywhere with y'all. Hopkins shrugged. The other pilot was bitten during one of the restocks, so Horowitz is our only viable option. Paul rolled his eyes. You've got me. You can fly a military chopper, the captain asked, blinking at him. Hell yeah, I can, Paul replied, almost sounding defensive. I've had a few in my collection over the years. Not only that, but I have more flight time than your boy. I've also done less damage to my equipment in three decades than he's done in the last three fucking days. Strickland clasped his hands in front of him and leaned forward, facing the older man with a stern expression. Paul, I need you to be straight with me. Can you handle yourself out there? 
I mean, I can shoot a gun with halfway decent accuracy, Paul replied with a shrug. I ran a couple 5Ks last year, albeit at a slow pace. As long as y'all aren't expecting me to parkour over walls and shit, I should be able to keep up. Strickland took a deep breath and turned to the captain. From what I know about our pilots in this unit, I think we'd be hard-pressed to find one with a better resume. Hopkins laughed and nodded, giving another wave as he took a long sip of his spiked coffee. Okay, you're in, Strickland said, turning back to his new pilot. Whenever we're done with this meeting, I want you to find us a good landing spot. But for the time being, can you please shift the screen over to Beavis? Jean motioned with her thumb, indicating he should move the map down as Paul tried to navigate the city. The shopping center's just off the interstate to the north, she said. And when he centered on it, she pointed. The building on the right there is the super center. Before evacuating, we were in the middle of a shipment, so with any luck, those trucks are still there. Any of them have food? Hopkins asked. Medicine? There was some fresh stuff that is worthless now, she replied, but pretty sure we had a few pallets of canned goods. Better than nothing at the moment, the captain admitted. Might buy us a day or two. Corporal, just make sure you have somebody who can handle a big rig on your team. Strickland nodded. Yes, sir. Jean raised a delicate hand. I can do it. The corporal took a deep breath. Jean, I appreciate the offer. He paused seeming to choose his words carefully. And before I say another word, let me assure you that what I'm about to say I would say to anybody, regardless of gender, so please don't think I'm a sexist prick because you just happen to be a woman. He fixed his gaze on her. But there is no way in fucking hell I'm taking another civilian on this excursion, because if he wasn't an experienced helicopter pilot, I'd be leaving his ass here too. That's not all I bring to the table, Corporal, she said, raising her chin. Strickland chuckled and shook his head. Okay, let's hear your story too, then. I'm the shipping manager for the super center, Jean began. Not just for that store, but for the district. I have files on every truck in the region, including GPS coordinates and shipping manifests, not to mention store inventory for 55 stores in the immediate region. If Paul is successful in getting us a fuel truck, I can lead us directly to the supplies we need. And before you ask, I've spent the better part of a decade dealing with trucks and stockroom guys, so I can handle my own. Strickland pursed his lips. Why can't we just grab these files for you, he asked. Seems easy enough. Well, there's a laptop and two USB keys that may or may not be where they're supposed to be, she explained. If you want to take the chance at bringing back the wrong thing, I totally understand. Hopkins put his hands up as Strickland shot him a questioning stare. It's your operation, Corporal, entirely your call. Strickland grunted. Fuck it, this is a Hail Mary mission anyway. Might as well go for broke, right? That's kind of my feeling on it as well. Hopkins laughed and took another long sip of coffee. Okay, you're in, the Corporal said, waving in Jean's general direction. Bud, please escort them to where they need to go. Just have them on the landing field in 30. Bud nodded. On it, sir. He led the pair from the office, closing the door behind him. So, Corporal, who do you want on your team? Hopkins asked. I want Becker as my second in command to head up the Beavis team, Strickland replied immediately. The captain furrowed his brow. You want a private to be your second? He wasn't always a private, Strickland explained. He got demoted from Corporal last year when we were deployed. Admittedly, he pulled some needlessly stupid shit, 
But in his defense, it was his seventh deployment in 11 years. That kind of action can drive any man a little loopy. Hopkins pursed his lips for a moment. Do you trust him? If I didn't, he'd be sitting here doing guard duty, Strickland said. The captain shrugged. Fair enough. Who else do you want? I'll take Private Yates, the corporal continued. He was with me in the sandbox last tour, very capable and resourceful. I get the sense that's going to come in handy this mission. We need that for this whole fucking situation, Hopkins muttered. No shit, Strickland agreed. And for my sixth, I'd like Private Goodman. Goodman? The captain furrowed his brow. Isn't he a bit inexperienced? Yeah, he is, the corporal admitted. He's only been out of camp for six months, but in the entire time he's been assigned to my squad, he's done everything I asked with precision, and he's eager to prove himself. Plus, I figure having someone with youthful exuberance who hasn't become disillusioned with life itself might be of some benefit on this mission. Hopkins chuckled and raised his coffee in a mock cheers. Looks like you have yourself a team, he said. When you load out, take as much ammo as you can carry. No use in rationing it, since if you fail this mission, we're all gonna starve to death. Starving to death sounds better than being zombie chow, Strickland mused as he got to his feet. Hopkins took a deep breath. Here's hoping we'll never find out. Good luck, Corporal. Chapter Four So did they tell you all what this is about? Private Goodman asked as he pulled his boots on, voice echoing in the locker room. Private Yates shook his head. Nope, we got the same order you did, he replied as he clipped his ammunition belt on. Just come down and gear up. Well, it's gotta be big if they're giving us the green light to take whatever we want, Goodman said, eyes wide with excitement as he picked out a large rifle from one of the lockers. Private Becker snorted as he shrugged into his bulletproof vest. Or they know it's a suicide run. That put a damper on Goodman's mood and he turned to his companion, brow furrowed. Surely they aren't sending us out there to die, are they? Do you see any high-ranking troops here, Rook? Becker sneered. Cause I sure as shit don't. Yates shot him a steely glare, and then turned to the younger man. Don't worry, Becker here is just a salty motherfucker who's lost faith in the system. What, two, three deployments ago? That's cute that you think I ever had faith in the system. Becker shot back as he laced up his boots. Yates clapped Goodman on the shoulder. Don't worry, kid, we'll be fine, he said, and the younger private nodded, shoulders relaxing a bit. Strickland walked in, flanked by Bud and two more civilians. All right, you boys geared up and ready to go, he barked. Goodman stood ramrod straight and saluted. Yes, sir, he cried. What's the mission if there are only four of us headed out? Becker asked as he got to his feet. Strickland stepped aside. Well, there's going to be six of us. Meet Paul and Jean. The newcomers gave a small wave, and Becker eyed them for a moment before shaking his head, turning to stuff more ammo into his belt. Oh boy, he muttered. An escort mission, these always go well. It'd better go well, Strickland said firmly. Because if it doesn't, everybody in this facility is going to starve to death. The three privates froze, even Becker, who straightened and turned to his corporal. Fucking hell, he blurted. Yates swallowed hard. So the rumor going around about the fire was true? If anything, the rumor wasn't as bad as the reality of the situation, Strickland explained, crossing his arms. 
This facility only has about two days of food left. The fire also destroyed most of the medicine and seeds for the greenhouses. Well, I guess it could be worse, Becker scoffed. At least we aren't walking. You say that, Paul said with a chuckle. The private's eyes widened. You've got to be fucking kidding me. Are we walking out of here? Oh, no, we're flying out of here, Paul assured him, putting up his hands. Just not very far. I found us a landing spot at a construction site halfway between our two targets. Yates cocked his head. Two targets? That's right, Strickland cut in. The helicopter is almost out of fuel, so Paul, Goodman, and myself are going up to Harrison to get a refueling truck. While we're doing that, Becker's team is going to head up to the supercenter in Beavis to get supplies. He pulled a small stack of maps from his back pocket and handed them out to the proper teams with highlighted routes. We've checked the latest satellite imagery, and the route to Beavis along the interstate looks pretty clear. So when we land, you are to secure transportation at the apartment complex here and proceed up to the target. It's a high-end place, and they typically have branded concierge vehicles. We figure the keys will be in the manager's office. Yates raised an eyebrow, glancing up from his map. That's one hell of an assumption there, isn't it? The corporal raised his chin. I mean, if you want to go door to door in the neighborhood nearby, hoping someone left their keys there, you're free to do so, he said with a flippant wave. We're just going with our best guess about the easiest way to find transportation, and this seemed like it. I can live with that, Yates sighed. Plus all that tree coverage in the neighborhood next door makes me nervous. Becker nodded. Yates is right. It looks like a hell of a lot of civilization around that complex. He drew in a breath. How do you know it's not overrun? Didn't see much in the way of movement, although the trees do make it more difficult, Strickland admitted. Although the apartment community is gated, so if you can get inside, you should be okay. Yates sighed. Famous last words, he muttered. Hey, if you want to swap missions with us, you can, Strickland said, more than a hint of amusement in his tone. We're headed through the woods and across the river on foot. Becker's eyes widened. Why in the fuck are you doing that? Because we spotted a horde on the interstate, close to our target in Harrison, the corporal explained. They won't be much of a problem when we're in a big-ass fuel truck, but could give us issues in a civilian vehicle. Okay. Becker let out a sharp whoosh of breath. Apartment complex it is, then. Strickland nodded sharply. Thought so. Any other questions? He waited a beat, and then raised a hand and twirled it in the air. Okay, finish getting ready and be at the chopper in five. He headed for one of the lockers and started pulling down gear for himself. Becker approached, lowering his voice. Hey, can you level with me? He asked quietly. What am I doing here? Jackson is your second in command now, isn't he? You're here because I know you're a leader. Strickland replied as he kicked off his shoes and pulled on a pair of combat boots. Becker crossed his arms. My rank suggests otherwise. Strickland sighed and looked up at him. Rank doesn't correspond with being a leader. I know what you went through in the sandbox, and I know what you've accomplished. This is a do-or-die mission, and I need someone I can count on. That's you, not Jackson. The private gave a solemn nod. Thanks, Strickland he said in a rare moment of sincerity. You're welcome, the corporal replied, bending back down to lace his boots. Just don't make me regret it. Becker barked a humorless laugh. Well, from the sound of things, if you do have regrets, it won't be for very long.
Chapter 5 The blades began rotating on the chopper, and Paul slid his headset on, checking his gauges. All right, boys and girl, he declared into the mic. Strap your asses in and hold tight. This is gonna be a short ride that could end very quickly if my math on the gas is off. Please tell me you at least got a quality education, Becker joked. Paul grinned back at his motley crew. Best school in rural West Virginia. Becker blanched. Fuck. There was a round of chuckles as the helicopter lifted off, and within seconds they had a full view of the city. The streets were packed full of zombies, rotting, shambling corpses looking for meat. Think anybody is alive down there? Goodman asked, eyes wide with awe. Yates shook his head. If they are, they probably aren't enjoying life very much. They cleared the downtown area quickly, but within view of the landing zone, the fuel alarm began to bleat angrily. Strickland leaned forward. Are we good, Paul? Gonna be close, the pilot replied. Are we good? The corporal demanded. Yeah, I see the landing zone up ahead, Paul snapped. Just shut up and let me focus. Strickland nodded and tightened his grip on his restraints, the rest of the team doing the same as the beeping intensified. None of them had any background in aviation and didn't know whether the thing was going to drop out of the sky or not. Paul stabilized the vehicle as the engine began to sputter, and at about 15 feet above the ground, they dropped. He landed evenly, though not without a good jostling, and quickly shut everything down before turning to give the corporal a thumbs up and a grin. Strickland simply glared at him. As the blade slowed, the trio of privates jumped down first, rifles raised to create a loose perimeter around the bird. A few zombies staggered from the construction zone towards the hubbub. Becker lowered his weapon and drew a machete, heading towards them at a brisk pace. He casually beheaded one, and then waited for the second to get within arm's reach. He stabbed the blade into its face, and then swept the area with his gaze once more. We're clear, he announced, and headed back to the group. Strickland jumped down and stood aside for Jean and Paul to clamber to the ground. Okay, y'all know your mission, he said. The rally point is here, two hours before sundown. If the mission isn't complete by then, we're gonna need to come up with a plan B before it gets dark. Any idea what that might be? Becker raised an eyebrow. No clue, Strickland admitted brightly. Although, if those apartments look nice, you're welcome to pick up a brochure. The private barked a laugh. Consider it done, corporal. All right, let's move out, Strickland said, raising a hand. And the two groups of three split off in their respective directions. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Chapter 6 Strickland glanced over at Goodman as they moved through the woods on a dirt bike trail, noting the young private's white knuckles around his gun. You need to relax some, kid. All that stress is gonna burn you out. Just wanna make sure I'm ready for anything, Corporal, Goodman replied. Strickland nodded. I appreciate that, 
but I'd rather have you relaxed when we encounter some of those things, he said. Odds are we're not going to find any runners out here in the wilderness, so if some zombies do pop up, we'll have plenty of time to react, and react quiet and smart. The younger soldier nodded, his shoulders lowering a little, but his eyes still scanning the trees intently. So how much further have we got? Strickland asked, catching up to Paul, who studied a printout as they walked. Should be a clearing about a 100 yards ahead, the pilot replied. There's going to be a small trailer park and a drop-off point for inner tubes. There's a popular place a few miles upriver, and this is where it ends. Goodman offered a small smile. So we're going tubing? Well, I'm kind of hoping there are some canoes as well, Paul chuckled. But we'll take what we can get. Strickland nodded. Are we going straight across? We can if you want, but might be a better idea to ride the current for a half mile or so, Paul replied, motioning vaguely with one arm. There's a drag strip on this side of the river. Once we see that, if we get off on the other side, it's a straight shot north through fields to my shop. The corporal nodded thoughtfully. Sounds like a plan to me. Could use a lazy river ride the way this day is going. As they reached the edge of the woods, they peered around the thick trees to survey the field and street ahead. There were six trailers lined up in two rows, about 30 yards from the river. A few zombies lumbered about, but a cluster of them banged on the side of one of the far trailers. Strickland raised his binoculars, scanning the area. I'm not seeing a boat, raft, or even a single tube, he whispered. You sure we're in the right spot? Positive, Paul replied quietly. This is where we came out last time we went. The corporal lowered the binoculars. Then where are the boats? Could be down by the river, the pilot replied. It's a good 30, 40 yards from the trailers. Goodman squinted as he peered around the tree. Could be some behind the trailers, too. Okay, this is what we're doing, Strickland said as he clipped the binoculars back to his belt. We move quickly across the road and get to the outside of the trailer on the left. We hug the outside of it and then make a dash for the water's edge, grab anything that floats, and hop on. Goodman raised an eyebrow. And the zombies? Don't engage unless you have to, the corporal replied firmly. We make any sort of noise and we're going to have a crowd. Paul gripped his handgun tightly and nodded. Goodman gave him a pat on the back and held his own rifle at the ready, loosening his stance to get ready to move. Strickland gave them a wave and then darted out of the tree line, leading them quickly across the street. They managed to make it behind the first trailer unseen, moving silently with their backs against the fiberglass. Paul suddenly hissed, leaping away from the lineup and firing underneath the trailer. The shot missed completely, a zombie flopping out from underneath, moaning and reaching for him. Goodman, figuring the gunshot had fucked them already anyway, aimed down and put a bullet in the back of the corpse's head. We've got to move, Strickland said, as Goodman grabbed Paul's arm to get him back into formation. The moans and groans of the nearby zombies rose as they abandoned their posts and focused on the source of the new noise. As the corporal reached the end of the trailer, a zombie staggered around the corner, and without hesitation he fired right into its forehead, taking it down. He peered around the corner and took a deep breath at the sight of at least a dozen creatures heading between the two trailers. Find us a boat, he barked, and then leapt into the space, firing a volley of automatic gunfire at the mini horde. Goodman jerked Paul past Strickland, 
hurrying down the side of the second trailer. He stopped short as a door flung open, a clumsy zombie getting tangled in the stairs and falling face first into the dirt. The private dispatched it quickly and jumped over the limp form, skidding at the corner to look around the front of the trailer. There were even more creatures coming out of the thick brush by the river, and he stepped forward to fire, dropping a handful of them with well-placed headshots. Goodman, Paul cried, clapping him on the shoulder. The private looked to where he pointed, at a canoe leaning against one of the far trailers. He pursed his lips, not liking the distance. But upon looking up and down the riverbank, he didn't see anything else they could use. Corporal, Goodman yelled. Strickland stopped firing, long enough to dart over to them as he reloaded his rifle. Found a boat, the private explained and pointed. But it's 20 yards that way. Strickland took a moment to look and sighed at the cluster of zombies in their way. Unless you want to swim, let's do it, he said. Not a big fan of shrinkage, Goodman replied. So let's get that boat. The two of them marched forward between the trailers, Paul staying close behind them to avoid straggling. He held his gun tightly, watching the two soldiers take down zombie after zombie with terrifying precision. When Goodman's gun gave a dull click, there was only a trio of corpses left guarding the canoe. He lunged forward and kicked the front one squarely in the chest, knocking the other two back and giving him a chance to reload. He took them out quickly as Strickland whipped around behind Paul's back to cover their path back to the river. You two get the boat and I'll clear the way, he said, as he reloaded his own rifle, taking down the zombies staggering in from the far end. Goodman pulled the boat down from its perch and lifted one end. Paul grunted as he picked up the other, struggling a little, but then managed to get a decent grip, and they shuffled after the corporal. He moved slowly towards the river, aiming carefully, but only firing on the immediate threats as they got closer and closer to the water. He jumped into the brush on the bank, making sure it was clear of waterlogged corpses before waving them in. They shoved the boat into the water, and Goodman held it steady while Paul scrambled inside. Strickland covered the bank as Goodman pushed off and hopped in, and then the two helped the corporal clamber up. A few runners reached the bank, just close enough to grip the side of the boat, and Goodman fired wildly from the hip, bullets tearing into the zombies' torsos. They weren't kill shots, just sending them staggering back, but it was enough for the canoe to reach the safe center of the river. The three men caught their breath as the boat caught up in the current, carrying them along to their destination. Is everybody okay? Strickland finally asked, tearing his eyes away from the corpses clustering at the river's edge. Goodman clapped the winded pilot on the back. You gonna make it, bud? If I, if I ever, ever say I can keep up with you boys again, Paul huffed. I want someone to smack me. The two soldiers burst out laughing, partly in amusement, but partly just in joy that they were still alive. Chapter 7 Good God, this is a fucking hike, man. Yates huffed as he followed Becker through a field. They could see the small neighborhood next to the apartment complex in the distance. Jean raised an eyebrow at him. Not afraid of a little cardio, are you? She teased. I mean, I guess all things being equal, I'd prefer to be here than back in the desert he admitted. Pretty sure I'd prefer the walking dead to 125 degree days. 
She wrinkled her nose. Yeah, my grandmother lives in Phoenix, and I used to spend summers out there growing up, so I know all about that. Last time I checked, Phoenix doesn't get up to 125, Becker cut in, glancing over his shoulder. It gets closer than you might think, Jean replied. Plus there's blacktop wherever you go, so you get baked from the top and bottom at the same time. Kind of an extreme heat spit roast. Becker chuckled. Extreme heat spit roast, I like that one. They continued quietly towards the neighborhood, crouching in some knee-high brush to survey the area. Becker looked through his binoculars and studied a few zombies roaming around a cul-de-sac. There was a huge open field between the group and the highway, away from the cluster of houses. It's a little out of the way, but I think we should head south a couple hundred yards before crossing over, Becker said, lowering his binoculars. Anything we can do to not draw attention to ourselves is worth it in my book. Agreed. Yates nodded. I get the sense we're going to be fighting enough of those things today without going and looking for it. Becker cocked his head. Jean? She blinked at him, looking surprised that he wanted a civilian's input. I'm with you, she replied. I'm in no hurry to kill more of those things. More of those things? Yates asked, as they got up to move away from the neighborhood. Like anybody who has survived this long, of course there is a story. Jean rolled her eyes. I'm not really keen on talking about it, but if you promise to keep it between the three of us, I'll share. The private held up a hand. Scout's honor. Yeah, let's hear it, Becker agreed. Jean took a deep breath and let it out slowly as they strolled through the open field. Okay, well, when this thing really started to kick into gear, I heard my neighbor screaming for help. I looked out my window and could see two of those things fighting to get into his apartment. And I'll be honest, if it had been any other neighbor I'd had throughout my life, I'd have just cracked a beer and waited for them to shut up. Yates barked a laugh. Damn, that's cold. You haven't met some of my neighbors, she insisted. He raised his hands. Fair enough. This kid was sweet, she continued. Even helped me move a washer and dryer into my apartment when I got fucked by the delivery guy. So against my better judgment, I grabbed a knife out of the kitchen, snuck out my front door, and stabbed one of the zombies in the back of the head. I had just enough time to pull the knife out before the other one turned on me. It came at me so fast I didn't even have time to stab. I just aimed and got lucky when it rammed its eyeball through the tip of the blade. Becker let out a low whistle. Two runners with a single knife, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, Yates added, as he ran his fingers through the tall grass. Why wouldn't you want to share that story? Because of what happened next, Jean said, swallowing hard. He helped me up and took me inside his apartment to get cleaned up, and was extremely grateful that I had saved his life, just thanking me profusely. I tried to tell him it was nothing, but he was adamant about making it up to me one day. Turned out it only took about two minutes. Becker's eyebrows rose in amusement. You know, that story sounds like he wouldn't want it told. Being a two-minute man isn't good. Nah, it's not like that, Jean replied with a laugh, waving her hands in front of her face. I was still in the process of removing the gore from my hair when there was a knock at the door. It was some of you boys, there to take him to the stadium. Turns out he was some sort of science geek and deemed vital to national security. As they started pulling him away, he stopped them and demanded that I be allowed to come too, since I was his top research assistant and vital to his work. I'm not even sure I could even tell you what his last name is, let alone what kind of research he does. 
but he convinced them. I don't know if it was because they believed him, or they didn't want to take the time to fight about it, but a minute later we were in an armor-plated vehicle rushing towards the stadium as the world descended into chaos around us. She paused and took a deep breath, glancing up at the sky for a beat. If I hadn't opened that door when I did, I have no doubt I would be dead right now. There was a moment of silence, until Yates shook his head. Pure kismet, he said quietly. Don't you mean karma? Becker asked. She did a good thing and was rewarded for it. No, kismet, Yates corrected. Fate, he saved her life so she could be in a position to save all of ours. His companion snorted. That just sounds like the $10 version of the nickel word I used. You know, the military will pay for your college education, Yates teased, a sly twinkle in his eye. They'll teach you fancy words like that. Hard to go to school when they keep stop-lossing me and sending my ass back to the desert, Becker replied, though it sounded good-natured enough. This is true, Yates agreed. Well, when we're looting the super center, I'll see if I can't find you a philosophy book or something. His companion barked a laugh. That'll work, I hear Ohio winters can be brutal. It'd be nice to have some emergency kindling laying around. The trio shared a chuckle as they emerged from the grass onto the road. Busted cars dotted the area, but the only zombies were a few about 50 yards away, staggering around an overturned truck. Becker nodded in the direction of the apartment complex, where they had a clear path with no ghouls in their way. All right, let's do this. As they closed in on the front gate, they realized just how tall it really was. The eight-foot-tall slotted iron looked to be on a motor, held together by tough stone walls running the perimeter of the property. Becker cocked his head as he peered in at the machinery. Yates, you think you can get that thing going? He asked. Should be able to, his companion replied. Those bad boys usually have a manual release in case the power goes out. Can't be having rich folks be stuck in their apartments, after all. Becker crouched down and laced his fingers together. Okay, let's get you over then, he said. Yates planted his boot in his cupped hands and easily sprung up over the gate, landing gracefully on the other side with a loud thud. The noise attracted a few zombies from the highway, and Jean pursed her lips in concern as she noticed them turning and ambling in their direction. Hey, Becker, we've got company, she said. He glanced over and then waved them off. I wouldn't worry about them. He shook his head. They're gonna have trouble getting over the guardrail, and even if they did, the fall down the hill would cripple them anyway. She kept a wary eye despite his reassurance, watching them struggle with the guardrail. One of them let out a screech of frustration, and they both began to moan loudly in anticipation of a meal. Both Becker and Jean froze as moans echoed from inside the complex in response. Should we worry about that, she asked. Becker leaned over to look at Yates. Hey, buddy, how's that gate coming? Slow, some dumbass put a padlock on the motor cover, the private replied, trying to pick it. There was a rustling in the bushes about 20 yards from the gate, and Becker gripped the iron bars. Pretty sure you can just shoot it off, he called. You sure? Yates asked, brow furrowing. As a few zombies emerged from the bushes, Becker drew his handgun and aimed. Really sure, he cried, and then fired three times, dropping the first three corpses quickly. The echoing moans from inside the complex grew louder, drawn by the noise, and Yates' eyes widened. Holy shit, 
he breathed, and took a step back, firing several times into the lock. It finally pinged open, and he dove forward, studying the motor for the manual release. Forget the fucking gate, Becker cried as he holstered his gun and laced his hands together again. Help me get Jean over. Yates ran back to them as she put her foot securely in his companion's hands. Just roll over and he'll catch you, Becker explained. She nodded firmly, bracing her hands on his shoulders. Got it, she said. He tossed her up, and she pushed off of him like a springboard, catching the top of the gate with her arms and using the momentum to propel her body upwards. She planted her foot on top and managed to swing over, holding on and glancing down nervously. Let go, girl, I got you. Yates encouraged her, and she took a deep breath before letting go. He caught her waist, and her feet touched down softly. Becker whipped around and drew his rifle, switching to three-round bursts to try to hold off the horde that was now growing into the dozens. He emptied the magazine and then turned back to the gate. Gene, catch the gun, he said, and without waiting for a response, he tossed the assault rifle over the top. She jumped forward and barely caught it, and watched with wide eyes as Becker took a run at the stone wall. He leapt against the one side, planting his foot into the pillar to give him more lift, and sprung up to grip the top of the gate with both hands. He let out a loud grunt as he pulled himself up, vaulting over and flopping back onto the other side. Yates caught him, though they stumbled back a little bit. You all right? he asked. Yeah, Becker replied, letting go and brushing himself off. Let's get a move on. Chapter Eight Jean handed Becker his gun, and he reloaded it as they backed away from the gate. Leaving it closed was the only option, as it was now completely covered in moaning, rotting corpses. It bowed and creaked a little, but held. Good thing you didn't get it open, Becker said. Yates nodded, eyes wide. Never been more thankful to fail a task in my life. They turned and headed through the complex, keeping their weapons at the ready. There were only a few cars in the parking lot, definitely a lot less than would have normally been around for all of the residents. Looks like those who could picked up and got the fuck out, Yates said. This thing hit pretty early on a work day, Jean replied, shaking her head. A lot of these people are probably dead on the interstate. Becker clucked his tongue. Ironic. How so? Yates furrowed his brow. His companion shook his head. All those people sitting in rush hour traffic, day after day after day, probably wishing for death a thousand times, and now they got their wish. Yates shivered. You know what? That one's close enough. A loud clang echoed in the distance, and Jean swallowed. What the hell was that? The soldiers glanced at each other with concern. That sound like the gate to you? Yates asked. Becker nodded. Let's get to the office. They picked up the pace, jogging across the parking lot to the front office. In the employee parking spots, there were two black SUVs with the Shady Grove apartment logo branded on the side in swirly gold lettering. Directly behind them, the office door was slightly ajar, but there was no movement in the floor-to-ceiling windows. Becker stepped inside cautiously, sweeping his gun back and forth as he headed into the dim office. Jean stayed close behind him, and Yates brought up the rear, closing and locking the door behind them. He stepped up beside the other soldier. Bring him to us, he asked. Becker nodded. 
My legs hurt, I'm game. Yates knelt and smacked the butt of his rifle against the marble floor, echoing sharp cracks through the building. It was a large open area, and almost immediately, moans carried back to them from the offices on the far side. The soldiers led the way in that direction. All of the office doors were closed, and they found the one that was vibrating with smacks of zombie hands. Yates stood off to the side and reached over to turn the knob and throw the door open. Becker couldn't see anything in the darkness, but fired a few shots at head level. The moaning stopped in favor of the sound of bodies crumpling to the ground, and he stepped inside to make sure that he'd gotten them all. Yates knelt and smacked the ground again, but there were no answering noises this time. Jean pulled out two little flashlights and held one out to Becker. Ready to go find us some keys? She asked. He clicked it on and offered her a smile. I appreciate the eagerness, but let me do a quick sweep just to be safe. She nodded and stayed behind with Yates as their leader made quick work of running through the last few rooms. Okay, we're good, he declared as he strode back to them. Yates, I want you to keep an eye on the front. That horde already took down a metal gate, and while those giant windows are beautiful, I doubt they have much load capacity. If they show up here, we need to be ready. On it, his companion said, and hurried back to the front door. Becker turned to Jean. Let's start the hunt, he said, and they headed to the first set of desks. They rummaged through drawers, pulling out every one and digging for anything even resembling a key. They checked in filing cabinets, in the pockets of any clothes strewn over chair backs, on the floor beneath in case anything got dropped. Nothing but fucking apartment keys, Becker grunted as he tossed aside yet another set he'd found. Jean finished with the desk she was going through, feeling equally deflated, but then spotted a purse sitting on the windowsill nearby. Oh, please tell me you were a naughty manager, she murmured and hurried over. She dumped the purse out onto the desk. Rummaging through random candy wrappers and makeup, she found a set of car keys on a Shady Grove key ring. I think I've got them, she declared, holding them up above her head like a precious artifact. Thank fucking Christ, Becker replied, because I haven't found shit. She held them out to him as he approached her and offered a grin. I mean, unless you want me to chauffeur you two around. He returned it as he took the keys. Tempting thought, but I got this. They headed back to the front, and Yates held up a hand to stop them. He put a finger to his lips and waved them forward to a crouch behind the front desk. Those bastards are out there, he said, motioning to the parking lot. There were at least three dozen zombies milling about, in and around the cars. At least they hadn't clustered around the door, but it still wasn't an ideal situation. God damn, they just keep multiplying, Jean groaned. Becker held up the fob on the car keys, hitting the lock button. One of the SUVs lit up and gave a happy little beep, agitating the zombies nearby. What the hell did you do that for? Yates hissed. Becker took a deep breath. Well, if we're going to fight our way through these things, I wanted to make damn sure we have the right set of keys. Now that you're sure, his companion said with a shrug, how do you want to play this? Fuck, man, I don't know, Becker admitted. You got any bright ideas? The trio looked around the room for anything to give them a light bulb moment. Yates motioned to the furniture in the lobby. Maybe we can pull that couch into the doorway here and use it as a stopgap. Then we can pop those things in the head as they get close. Becker pursed his lips. 
But if the noise we make attracts more, we could run out of ammo. True, Yates admitted. But at the moment, that sounds like our only solid plan A. Let's put it on the back burner as plan B and keep working on a plan A, Becker suggested. Jean ducked back into the office she'd found the keys in and snatched a map of the property from the wall. She spread it out on a table out of sight from the front windows, waving for the soldiers to come see. She stared at it, illuminating it with the flashlight, and tapped her finger on the community pool area. Hey guys, I think I've got a plan, she said as they approached. We've got nothing but shit ideas on our end, Becker admitted with a shrug. What you got? Okay, we're in the office here, she pointed to the map. And all the zombies are in the front parking lot, right? Yates nodded. And we definitely do not have a safe way of getting out there. She took a deep breath. So we let them in. Yates raised an eyebrow and turned to Becker. My plan B ain't looking so bad now, is it? He joked. Jean scowled at him. I'm not finished. Sorry, the private put up his hands in surrender. So once again, she continued, we let them in. We keep their attention as long as we possibly can. Once it starts getting too close for comfort, we open the doors to the pool behind us. As long as we keep their attention, they're going to follow us. We get them into the pool area, and we take this side walkway around the building, right up to where the SUV is. Yates furrowed his brow, leaning over the map. Won't they just follow us? Nope, Jean replied, tapping on that section of the map. There's chest-high gates with a magnetic lock, so it'll work even without power. We get out, they're trapped in. The soldiers glanced at each other and chuckled. She frowned. What's so funny? Yates put his hands up again. Trust me, we aren't laughing at you. We just think it's funny that a super center shipping manager has more tactical sense than half of the superior officers we worked under out in the field, Becker added. So you think it's a good plan? Jean asked. Becker nodded. It's fucking brilliant, let's do it. After doing a quick sweep of the pool area and making sure the magnetic gate was as secure as they'd assumed it was, they gathered in the community room. All clear, Yates declared. We're good to go. Becker motioned to the front windows. Jean, would you like to do the honors? He asked. She grinned. Absolutely. She aimed her gun at the front floor-to-ceiling glass and pulled the trigger. It shattered, shards raining down onto the sleek marble floor of the ritzy apartment office. The zombies in the parking lot immediately swarmed the lobby, excited by the sudden turn of events. Jean shot out two more windows to give them a good pathway to the pool, and the horde screeched as they poured inside. The trio backed into the pool area, and Yates rushed to the gate to make sure it was ready to go. Jean and Becker continued to move slowly, hoping to draw the horde as best they could. They picked up patio chairs and tossed them into the path of the oncoming zombies, sending the corpses stumbling over each other. A few of them fell into the pool, but the rest continued to gain on the trio. Close enough for my comfort, Becker said, when the gap between them closed to about 10 yards. He threw up a hand and Yates opened the gate. The three of them slipped through and then slammed it shut behind them. They stood there as bait for another few moments, making sure that as many creatures as possible poured into the pool area. Let's get to the SUV, Becker finally said, and they darted up the side walkway. They reached the corner of the building, and he peered around the corner, seeing two zombies still in the parking lot. 
Two left, apparently not impressed by our show, he muttered. Be ready to move, he said, and then stepped out, popping both zombies in the head. Next stop, Supercenter, he declared, as they jogged across to the SUV. Shotgun, Jean said brightly. Yates grinned at her as he opened the passenger door and waved her in. Hell, girl, after the way that plan went off, it's all yours. Such a gentleman, she replied as she clambered up into her seat. Your mama would be proud. Yates closed the door and hopped into the back seat. I'd like to think so. Becker fired up the engine and peeled out with a satisfying screech of tires, taunting the zombies one last time before leaving them in their pool prison. Chapter Nine Strickland handed his binoculars over to Paul as the trio crouched in the grass within 50 yards from the main Sky Tours building. How we looking? the corporal asked. Paul pursed his lips as he surveyed his old place thoroughly. The refueling truck is going to be parked in front, he explained. Keys are gonna be in the main office, so if we take out that trio of zombies on the landing pad, we can go in through the back door without much trouble. What about on the inside, Strickland asked. Are we going to have any nasty surprises when we go in? Paul shook his head, lowering the spectacles. Doubtful, he replied. Only had one employee, and they came to the shelter with me. Doors were locked tight, and I can think of about a 100 better places to take shelter. Okay, let's do it then, the corporal declared. Goodman, silent kills only. We don't need any unwanted attention. While we handle that, Paul, you're on door duty. You got your keys? He pulled a key ring from his pocket and gave them a little jingle before handing back the binoculars. Strickland nodded and clipped them back to his belt. Okay, let's move, he said, and pushed up to a bent over position and began the jog across the field. As they hit the blacktop, the noise of their boots on asphalt attracted the attention of the three zombies staggering about. They were grouped together, so the corporal rushed up and slammed his shoulder into the closest one's abdomen, sending it toppling back into the others. The three all fell to the ground and flailed around in frustration to try to untangle and get back to their feet. Goodman and Strickland made quick work of them with blades to the head, and soon the three corpses lay still. Paul unlocked the door and stood at it as he waited for the other two to join him. Why aren't you going on? Strickland asked as they approached. Paul took a deep breath as he grasped the knob. Because I've been wrong before and it's bitten me in the ass, he explained. If I'm wrong this time, it could be a literal ass biting. The corporal cracked a smile and motioned for him to go ahead. He raised his weapon and moved in quickly as Paul threw open the door, doing a quick sweep about the empty warehouse. We're clear, he said, and Goodman ushered Paul in before securing the door. The pilot strode quickly for his office, easily locating his keys in the organized chaos. Got him, he called as he re-entered the warehouse. Let's get out of here. Guys, that might not be so easy, Goodman declared from the front window. The others joined him and froze, wide-eyed. Fuck me, Strickland breathed, jaw dropping to the floor. The refueling truck stood in the front parking lot near the road. An SUV was plastered into the front of it, melding the two together into a spectacular mess. Two zombies in the SUV flailed and thrashed in the front seats, trapped by their seatbelts and the hood of the vehicle crushing them in. Do you think it's drivable? Goodman finally broke the silence. 
Paul scratched the back of his head in bewilderment. Given that the radiator is resting on the front windshield, I'm gonna go with no. Okay, time for plan B, Strickland said firmly. Paul, what about one of your helicopters? Only one I have operational at the moment is a two-seater, the pilot replied with a shrug. So unless Goodman here wants to hang on to the bottom, the corporal groaned. Yeah, not sure our liability insurance would cover that. What about a tow truck? Goodman piped up. His two companions blinked at him, the idea sinking in quickly. That's actually pretty brilliant, Strickland replied with a nod and turned to the pilot. You think that'll work? Paul chewed his lip and thought for a moment, and then let out a deep breath. Gonna need one hell of a tow truck, he said, crossing his arms. But I know exactly where one is. Buddy of mine has an industrial strength one at his hangar at the airport. It's a big old bitch, too. Could move my ex-wife and her mother in one trip. A shame he wasn't around when I got divorced, Strickland chuckled. Could have saved me a bundle. So where's the airport? Goodman asked. Paul motioned towards the back door. A couple miles away, he said. Shouldn't be that difficult to get to since we can head through the fields. Well, it is a beautiful day for a hike, Goodman declared. Paul shrugged. We'll have to come back on the roads, but we can worry about that in a bit. The corporal pursed his lips. Let's hope that the other group is having better luck than we are. Chapter 10 the supercenter stood tall amidst a horde of about 70 or 80 zombies, a whirling mass of rotting flesh around the bright blue building. The lowest prices everywhere sign was covered in blood, making the smiling cartoon dog on it look that much more macabre. Must be a hell of a sale going on at the supercenter, Becker said, leaning on the railing of the I-275 bridge. Yates nodded and stroked his chin. Double coupon day, maybe? Ah, yes, zombie hoarders of the world unite. Becker spread his arms. Jean chuckled and shook her head. Well, the good news is that they're congregating at the front. Hopefully the back should be open. Is there another road that leads to the back? Becker asked. No, she explained. All the deliveries had to come in through the front and go around the building. They'd started to put a dedicated delivery entrance, but apparently the developer didn't think it was worth the investment. Yates groaned. But it was so worth the investment. So we're going through them? Becker asked. The other soldier turned away from the side of the bridge and pursed his lips at the SUV. That's a thick-ass crowd of zombies, he said. You think this thing can make it? I mean, if we get up ahead of steam, Becker mused. The four-wheel drive should kick in and get us over any bumps in the road. Jean wrinkled her nose. Uh, Becker? She pointed to the side of the vehicle, where, next to the brand name, was a two-wheel drive sticker. The private shook his head in disgust. Who in the fuck would buy a two-wheel drive SUV? He threw his hands up. That's like paying for a hooker who only gives your junk a few tugs. Completely pointless. You've never met my ex-husband, Jean replied. He probably could have gotten change back. The soldiers winced and shook their heads at her plight. Yates let out a low whistle. I'm afraid this philosophical debate will have to wait for another day, he said, crossing his arms. We need to figure out how we're getting in there. I still vote we run the fuckers over, Becker declared. The other soldier turned back to the railing. 
Is there a straightaway long enough for us to get up to speed? He asked. Jean nodded. There's a residential street that leads into the parking lot, she said. It's about three, maybe four blocks. All right, let's do this. Becker cracked his knuckles. Wait, Yates interrupted, putting his hands up to stop his overzealous companion. What do we do when we get to the back? How are we getting in? I'll need 10 seconds, maybe, Jean replied thoughtfully. The door has a keypad locking system. Just got a punch in the code and we're in. The soldier furrowed his brow. Powered key lock? Mechanical, she assured him. He nodded. Well, that's good at least. What about once we're inside? The loading dock runs the length of the store, she explained. Are the doors to the main store open? He asked. She shrugged. There's one set of double doors in the center. It locks from our side, but I have no idea if it's open or not. Which means we could be walking into a shit show, Becker cut in. Given the size of the crowd out front, Jean added, I'd almost bet on it. He let out a whoosh of breath. Okay then, once we're inside, the priority is securing that door. Yates, do you want to be the runner or the gunner? Hey, I went first last time, Yates protested. Becker shook his head in amusement. That's what I get for asking instead of delegating. Yeah, you're a little rusty there, bud, his companion teased. I'll shake it off, provided I live through the next 15 minutes, Becker assured him. Come on, let's saddle up. Chapter 11 Becker lined up the SUV in the middle of the street, back tires resting against the curb, a few blocks away from the supercenter. He took a deep breath and tightened his hands on the wheel. Gene, when we get to the back, I want you to focus on nothing but the door, he said firmly. Get it unlocked, but do not open it. We might have a fight on our hands, and I'll be damned if I'm going to drag a civilian through all of this just to lose them at the destination. She smirked. Yeah, if you do that, I'd haunt your asses. Fair enough, he replied with a nod. Yates, as soon as I slam this bitch into park, you cover the rear and I'll take the front. When we get the signal from Jean, you take the door and I'll lead us in. Yates raised his gun and nodded. 10-4. Becker looked in the rearview mirror. And Jean, if you wouldn't mind securing the door while we clear the storeroom, that would be greatly appreciated. Not a problem, she assured him. He took another deep breath and revved the engine. Here goes nothing. He punched the accelerator and peeled out, the engine screaming as it redlined and built up speed through the residential neighborhood. By the time they hit the parking lot, he was going about 60 miles an hour, and the passengers braced for impact. When the grill hit the zombie horde, the first corpse practically exploded in a fine crimson mist. Everyone jolted forward, as the SUV plowed through about two-thirds of the throng before significantly slowing down. Becker hit the windshield cleaner to try to wash away the guts and rotting flesh, blocking his vision as the engine whined. Fuck, 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 he cried as the SUV struggled to move any further. Yates threw open the sunroof and surveyed the area in front of them. We're almost through, floor it, he yelled, and his companion did so. The vehicle surged forward slightly and then stalled out. Becker snarled more choice words and tried to start it again. But after a screech and a sputter, smoke began to billow out from underneath the hood. It's dead, Yates barked. We gotta go. He pulled himself up through the sunroof 
and stood on top of the SUV, raising his assault rifle to try to take care of the few rows of zombies clustered in the direction they needed to go. Becker clambered up and slid down the windshield under the hood, immediately opening fire. The zombies began to thicken, pressing up against the sides of the vehicle from all sides. We're gonna burn through a ton of ammo doing this, Yates declared, as Gene climbed up onto the roof next to him. Becker clenched his jaw, still firing, and then shook his head. I'm open to ideas. This is the safest option right now. No, it's not, Gene cried. The soldiers turned and saw dozens more zombies pouring out from the surrounding neighborhood, staggering excitedly towards the noise in the Supercenter parking lot. Fuck, Becker spat. So much for that plan. Yates raised his hand. I've got a plan. I love it, let's do it, Becker replied. His partner raised an eyebrow. You haven't even heard it yet. Well, it's better than mine and we're out of time, Becker explained. So what are we doing? When I say go, unload everything you have on the back line. Yates pointed where the zombies were the thinnest. Once they drop, we jump over the front line and run like hell. Becker lowered his gun, eyebrows reaching his hairline in shock. That's your plan? Jump over them? Is it still better than yours? Yates asked. Fuck's sakes, his companion muttered as he reloaded his gun. Jean, you ready? She nodded. Tell me when. The soldiers took aim, and Becker swallowed hard. Say the word. Yates took a deep breath. Go. They opened fire, thinning the back line of zombies as quickly as they could, rapidly dropping corpses to the asphalt. The fallen flesh created a landing pad of sorts, on the other side of the eight or so zombies, still trying to get to them against the hood of the SUV. Jean, Becker cried, and she leapt to action. She slid down the windshield and sprung off of the hood, leaping over the outstretched hands of the zombies. She landed on the pile of bodies and stumbled forward, but caught herself enough to run down the little hill and tear across the parking lot. The two soldiers gripped their weapons tightly and pushed off from the windshield simultaneously, managing to clear the hungry corpses and land safely on their fallen brethren on the other side. They tore off after Jean, resisting the urge to look behind them as the entirety of the throng turned to pursue the trio. Jean skidded to a stop before the back alleyway, taking it wide to make sure she didn't run into any unexpected foes, but it was surprisingly empty. The soldiers caught up, and the three of them tore towards the loading dock, and Becker sprinted ahead of the pack to fire at two zombies hanging out at the bottom of the short stairwell that led up to the door. Take the door, he huffed, and wait when you get it unlocked. Jean nodded and took the steps two at a time. You got it, she said. Yates and Becker turned back to see the horde coming around the corner, squeezing into the alleyway like a tidal wave. They had less than a minute before they'd be zombie chow, and they backed up the steps as Jean punched a ridiculously lengthy code into the keypad. It gave a happy beep, and she turned the handle but didn't open the door. We're in, she said, and then the door smacked into the side of her face. She regained her footing quickly, and Yates threw himself against the door to try to shut it again, as zombie arms flailed about, pinned between door and frame. Becker pulled his handgun and fired through the crack several times in rapid succession until there was nothing but a pile of bodies on the other side. He reloaded as he yelled, open it, let's move, 
Jean didn't waste any time, and the two soldiers burst in so she could slam the door behind them just as the rest of the throng caught up to the staircase in the alleyway. She locked the door and leapt back from it as hands thundered against the metal from the outside. Yates and Becker spread out a little, moving together through the storeroom. There were pallets of boxes and skids of merchandise lining the walls, some splattered with blood and some shining in the sunlight as if the apocalypse wasn't literally beating down the door outside. Yates spotted the double doors to the store first and rushed forward when he saw they were wide open. Zombies milled about the aisles of the women's clothing section beyond, and it almost would have been comical had it not been a life or death situation. He slammed and locked the doors, securing them before the corpses could make a mad dash for their location. Becker came around a tall skid, and two zombies were suddenly on him, grasping for his face. He wedged his head into the crook of one's jaw and pressed the side of his handgun against the chest of the other to keep it at arm's length and away from chomping distance. He struggled against the first one, avoiding the teeth snapping against his hair. He managed to maneuver the gun so it was pointing upwards and fired three shots into the bottom of the second zombie's head before aiming over his head and pressing the barrel into the soft flesh of the first one's eye socket and pulling the trigger. As the corpses crumpled to the concrete floor, he wiped a hunk of rotted goo from his forehead with a cry of triumph. Try to sneak attack me, will you bitches? He bellowed, kicking one of the fallen zombies. Yeah, that's what you get. Uh, you okay, man? Yates asked as he skirted the skid of goods, brow furrowed in concern. Becker nodded with a maniacal grin. Yeah, I'm good. This motherfucker tried to get the drop on me. He kicked the corpse again, baring his teeth. Didn't work out so well for you, did it? You really should consider switching to decaf, Yates chirped. All that tension is gonna blow out your heart, man. Becker rolled his eyes. Yeah, like I'm going to live that long. They shared a grim chuckle and patted each other on the back, turning back towards the back door. Where'd she go? Becker's eyes widened. Jean? Yates cried. I'm in the office. Her voice floated back over to them in the distance. The two soldiers headed towards the tiny shipping office at a brisk pace. Man, the apocalypse hit this place hard, Becker said as he entered the small room. Papers were everywhere, binders and pens strewn across every surface in the place. Jean laughed. Nah, it's always looked like this. How did you ever find what you were looking for? Yates gaped. She shrugged as she rummaged through the bottom drawer of the desk. I got paid by the hour, so I wasn't in a hurry. She pulled out a scuffed laptop that looked like it weighed a ton. All right, got the main shipping computer. Christ, that thing is older than I am. Becker wrinkled his nose. What can I say? Jean shrugged again and tucked it under her arm. The owners were more concerned with buying their fifth yacht than providing us with adequate equipment. Yates shifted his weight from one foot to the other. What else do you need? There's a USB key somewhere in here, she said tapping her chin as she looked around. It's black and red with the company logo on it. Becker nodded. That can wait a minute, he said. You wanna walk through the storeroom with us so we can figure out how to get out of here? Sure thing, Jean agreed, and led the way back out to the storeroom. Yates patted the side of a skid of canned peaches. Looks like this thing hit on grocery day, he said. We lucked out on that one. 
Yeah, with a store this size, there was never a shortage of canned goods, Jean replied. That's not gonna be our problem. Becker raised an eyebrow. Wait, we have a problem? Well, we can get the goods on the truck, she explained, heading towards the cargo hold. But getting to the driver's seat is going to be a bitch, since we're going to have trouble getting out the door. Yates knocked on the side of the truck. How's this store's hardware section? Surprisingly robust, Jean replied. Ever since that mega chain store across the street shut down, we beefed up our selection. The private raised an eyebrow. So you should have a metal saw in stock, right? It's probably going to be a non-powered handheld variety, but yeah, we should have a few, she replied. Yates shook his head. It's all good, we don't need that big of a hole. What, you gonna go out the side? Becker asked. Yates pointed up to the ceiling of the truck. Go out the top, then in through the window, easy as can be. What about the truck keys? His companion wondered. Company policy is that the driver has to leave them in the cab while they unload, Jean replied. Becker raised his eyebrows and nodded slowly. Well, goddamn if we don't have a plan. Don't get too excited, Yates shot back. We still have to hit the pharmacy and the garden center. His companion clucked his tongue playfully. Can't you just let me have one moment of joy today? Well, while you celebrate, I'm going to start looking for a way into the main part of the store, Yates winked. Becker let out an overly dramatic sigh. No, the moment is past. Come on, let's go. He turned to Jean. Let us know if you need our help with anything. You got it, she replied with a little salute. And if y'all have any questions, just give me a shout. I know this store like the back of my hand. Chapter 12 Man, this place is a ghost town, Goodman said as he followed Strickland and Paul across the tarmac. The repair hangar loomed ahead of them, and there wasn't a single zombie in sight. Why can't everywhere be like this? Paul shrugged. Doesn't surprise me that nobody's here, he said. Those who could fueled up and took off as soon as this thing started. The closest neighborhood is nearly a mile away. No reason for the zombies to stick around if there's nothing to eat. Makes sense, I guess, the private agreed, but raised his gun as they approached the hangar. But just in case there's something in there. There was a padlock holding the large sheet metal door shut, and Paul pulled out a few hairpins he'd stashed in his pocket just for the occasion. He knelt down and began to fiddle with the lock. Strickland raised an eyebrow. You know, we can just shoot it off. Nah, it's all good. Wouldn't want you to waste the ammo on, he said as the padlock popped open. Something so simple. The corporal blinked at him. I'm impressed. Well, when half your day is waiting on clients to show up, you gotta do something to keep your hands busy. Paul replied with a shrug as he slid the lock from its hole. Figured I'd do something useful with my time. He glanced at Strickland, who nodded, and then Paul flung the door open. The corporal and Goodman entered first, doing a quick sweep of the area to make sure it was as barren as outside. There was a rusted vintage car up on the lift at the far end of the room, surrounded by tools strewn all over the floor. The soldiers turned towards the huge wrecker tow truck, a massive hulk of a vehicle that looked like it could drag a two-story house across town. You definitely didn't oversell the tow truck, Strickland said blankly as Goodman let out a low whistle. Paul clapped his hands together. No, sir, I did not. If this thing can't get the refuel truck to the chopper, then nothing will. Keys, the corporal asked. Let's find out, Paul replied, and approached the driver's side door. 
He clambered up into the cab and then leaned over, rummaging around in the center console. When he sat back, he held a shiny set of keys. I do believe we're in business, gentlemen, he said with a grin. Fantastic, Strickland declared. All right, Goodman, hop in. You get the bitch seat. The private wrinkled his nose. Why me? Rank has its privileges, the corporal quipped. Goodman rolled his eyes. Yeah, all right, he grumbled and climbed up into the large cab. Strickland followed as Paul started the engine, the large truck rumbling to life. Oh, yeah, the pilot purred. That'll work. You boys ready? Have at it, Strickland said as he closed the door. Paul put the truck into gear, and they rolled out of the hangar and down the only road out of the airport. Soon they came upon a small neighborhood, and he had to slow to a stop upon reaching two cars parked in the middle of the road. It looked like someone had set up a barricade at some point, with the vehicles nose to nose. What do you want me to do here? Paul asked, noting the deep ditches on either side. They wouldn't be able to drive around. The corporal waved to his companion. Goodman and I can get out and move them. Don't think that's going to work, the private commented, and motioned past the cars, where zombies staggered out from around the houses towards the rumbling truck. Fuck, Strickland muttered. Okay, that's not going to work. He paused, pursing his lips in thought. Paul, how close are we to your shop? The pilot shrugged. Maybe half a mile at the most, he replied. The turnoff is just up ahead, and then we're on the main road back to it. It's a straight shot. How long do you need to hook up the fuel truck? Strickland asked. Paul scratched the back of his head. Depends on how badly that SUV is wedged up into it. Could be five minutes, could be half an hour. I honestly can't tell you. Well, let's hope it's the five minutes, the corporal said firmly. Because we're going to have to drive through those cars, and those zombies are going to follow us back. If there's only a couple dozen, we can handle them. Goodman piped up. Strickland sighed. With the way today is going, I doubt we're going to be that lucky. One way to find out, Paul declared, and threw the truck into gear. He punched the accelerator, and the beefy vehicle rumbled loudly before finding its footing and crashing into the two cars. The sedans shrieked from being crushed by such a large vehicle, but slid fairly easily out of the way, one tumbling down into the ditch, taking a few zombies with it. The grill of the truck tore through a few more corpses, sending others that ran at it, flying back into nearby lawns on impact. As they picked up speed through the neighborhood, Strickland focused on the rearview mirror, his jaw tightening more and more as zombies continued to emerge from the houses into the street. Yeah, this is not going to be good, he muttered. Holy fuck, Paul exclaimed as he turned onto the main road. In the middle of the street was a horde of easily a hundred zombies waiting for them, staggering as one along the main drag. He continued to accelerate, plowing through them like butter. Where's the shop? Strickland asked. Paul wrinkled his nose as a severed hand smacked into the windshield and left a gooey handprint there. Three more blocks up, he said. The corporal studied the rear view again, taking a deep breath as the remaining zombies turned to follow them up the street. Let's do this shit quick, he said. They reached the smushed SUV, and the trio scrambled out as fast as they could. Strickland fired twice to take out the two thrashing zombies inside, and Goodman took a defensive position horde side. Paul examined the wreckage. What do you see? Strickland called. The pilot threw his hands up. A tangled fucking mess. I can't tell anything else. Fuck it, just hook the truck up and pull, the corporal said. 
We'll just have to hope for the best. Paul nodded. I'm on it. He rushed back to the tow truck and pulled out two heavy chains. He laid them down on the road and squirmed his way beneath the SUV to hook them up. Goodman took a deep breath and glanced at his companions and then at the oncoming horde. We're never going to make it, he murmured to himself and took a deep breath. He walked away from the truck towards the road and crossed it to the field on the other side. He aimed his assault rifle at the corpse parade and fired a few rounds. Come and get me, he roared, spreading his arms. Strickland startled and leapt up from where he was supervising Paul, head whipping this way and that to locate his teammate. His blood ran cold at the sight of the private, walking backwards through the field, and he immediately raised his walkie-talkie to his mouth. Goodman, he barked, what in the hell are you doing? His companion raised his own radio, firing off a few more rounds before answering. Buying time for you to get the fuel truck free. How, by sacrificing yourself? Strickland cried. I looked at the map, and there's a huge wooded area to the east of us, Goodman assured him. I'm going to lure them into it and lose them there. The corporal clenched and unclenched his jaw. There was nothing he could do about this now. You remember where we parked, right? He asked, defeat in his voice. Yes, sir, Goodman replied, and saluted him from the grass. Strickland took a deep breath. Well, then hurry your ass up, because we ain't gonna be waiting on you for long. Don't worry, sir, I won't be late, the private promised. Now you boys just lay low until I get these things clear. Thank you, Strickland replied, swallowing a hard lump in his throat. Be safe. Always, sir, came the reply, and then more gunfire to attract the significantly distracted horde. The corporal ducked down and clapped Paul on the leg to get his attention. He put a finger to his lips to encourage him to stay quiet and the pilot fell still, letting go of the chains. He rolled over to see what was going on, and Strickland peered around the back of the SUV to watch as the horde shambled into the grass after a whooping and hollering Goodman. The corporal took a deep breath. His partner had been right. Had he not done what he did, they wouldn't have made it. All right, Paul, he said firmly as the last of the zombies dragged their way across the field. Let's get this done. If Goodman doesn't make it back, I don't want his actions to be in vain. Paul nodded and returned to his work. I'm gonna make damn sure that it's not, he said. Strickland kept watch, gun at the ready, just in case any of the horde decided to make their way back. He saluted the field. Good luck, kid. Chapter 13 Becker pulled the empty dolly back out of the truck. He parked it behind Yates and leaned on it, watching the private pace back and forth in front of the wall that separated them from the store proper. Dude, what are you doing? Becker finally asked. You look like one of those 70-year-old grandmothers who walk around the mall. Yates shook his head, but didn't stop pacing. I'm trying to figure out how to get us into the main portion of the store without being eaten. Oh yeah? Becker raised an eyebrow. And how's that going? His companion finally stopped moving. Pretty sure I got us something that will work. He pointed up to a small window at the top of the wall and off to the side. Uh, do we need to go by the eye center so you can get some glasses? Becker blinked at him. Because if you think I can fit through that. He motioned to the two foot by three foot window. No, no, that's not for us, Yates replied, waving his hands in front of his face. That's for Jean. Becker nodded as the insinuation sunk in. Okay, I'm tracking you now. We get her up there. She creates a diversion to draw them away from the door, 
Wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, we're in business. And, Yates asked, crossing his arms, what do you think? I think it's going to be a bitch and a half once we're in the store, since we have no idea how many of those fuckers are in there, his companion admitted. But at least the plan will get us in, so that's something, I suppose. Yates wrinkled his nose. Yeah, it's a work in progress. Maybe Jean has a map of the store we can use to plot our attack, Becker said, and waved for the other soldier to follow him towards the back office. As if on cue, Jean emerged from the door, a grin on her face. Fucking found it, she declared, holding up the USB key in triumph. We're in business, boys. Good job, Yates commended with a grin of his own. She slid the USB key all the way down into her deepest pocket for safekeeping. So y'all found a way into the store yet? She asked. Yeah, he came up with a plan, Becker replied, inclining his head towards his comrade. But we need some help. Do you have a store map we can use? Sure, Jean replied, and disappeared back into the office, rummaging around for a moment. Here we go, come in. The soldiers approached, and they leaned over the desk, studying the large map. Everything was clearly labeled by department, complete with a self-contained garden center. First things first, Becker said tapping the map at the bottom. We have to shut those front doors. Jean, do we need a key for it? She shook her head. No, they have simple deadbolt locks you can throw, she explained. Should be good enough to keep those things at bay, at least long enough for us to get what we need and get out. What about the garden center? Yates piped up. It looks like it's in a separate building. It's separate from the main store, but it's a self-contained outdoor environment, Jean explained. If memory serves, the seeds we need are on aisle seven, which is about halfway down on the right. Yates pursed his lips. Are those doors locked? They should be, she nodded. The garden center was only open during the daytime, so it wouldn't surprise me if the opener never made it in when this stuff started. Becker turned to the other soldier. Well, what do you want to do about the rest of the zombies in the store? Why are you asking me? Yates asked, a mischievous glint in his eye. I thought you were in charge. Well, all good superior officers look for a talent to promote, Becker teased. Your plan has gotten us this far, so let's see if you can finish it. Yates chuckled and then took a deep breath. Okay, well, hopefully Jean can keep the majority of them entertained back here in electronics while we shut the doors. After that, I say we take up position in the main walkway in the center of the store. He pointed to the area and tapped. We clear the aisles around us and then take our shots. When they get too close for comfort, we retreat to the main walkway at the front of the store and just keep them moving until we take them all out. Just your basic run to the store, Becker said casually. Only with more bullets and rotting flesh. Sounds like a plan to me, let's do it. He glanced at Jean for confirmation. She nodded and grinned. All set, she declared. Chapter 14 Hey, zombies! Jean cried from the little window, balancing on a few pallets to stick her head through. We have an amazing sale on big screen TVs here in the electronics department. Why don't you all come check it out? Moans rose up in response as the dead shoppers came to have a look at the TVs. She watched as a few dozen corpses moved towards her, clustering to the electronics section. She craned her neck to survey the storage room door and then pulled back in to address the soldiers waiting on the other side of it. You've got two zombies within five feet of the door who don't seem interested in the sale, she called. Looks like that's as good as it's going to get. Becker nodded and turned to his partner. You ready? 
Yates pulled out his machete. I'll handle them. You secure the door. On three, then, Becker said, and put his hand on the knob. One, two, three. He threw open the door so that his companion could rush through, catching the first zombie easily in the face. As the second zombie turned, Yates kicked it in the chest, sending it tumbling backwards into a mobile phone display. The soldier tore his machete from the first opponent's skull and then knelt onto the flopping corpse, sliding the tip right between its eyes as Becker secured the door. They immediately raised their assault rifles, making sure that the clattering phones hadn't distracted from Gene's declarations of discount Blu-ray players. Becker nodded, and the duo moved towards the front of the store. They moved as quietly as they could, so they wouldn't attract any unwanted attention from stragglers in the parking lot. Becker stopped short at the front of the aisle, peering around. Shit, he muttered. How many? Yates asked quietly. A dozen or so. His companion replied, surveying the zombies milling about the checkout lines. Pretty close to the doors, too. Yates chewed his lip. How do the doors look? Doesn't look like any of those things are near it, so closing them shouldn't be an issue, Becker replied. But as soon as that first lock clunks, we're gonna be made. His comrade nodded thoughtfully. I say we both tackle the doors, get in and get out before they can make it over to us, he said. Then we retreat back over here and regroup. Agreed, Becker said. You take the two on the left, I take the two on the right. After receiving a nod, he peeked out again to make sure their opponents were in the same place. They rushed out of the aisle, tearing silently for the center doors. They made sure to close and lock them at the same moment, the clunk echoing loudly. The zombies snapped in their direction as the two soldiers separated, each taking the opposite outer doors. Becker had the farthest one, securing it easily but Yates didn't quite beat a zombie to his, slamming it shut on an arm. Becker rushed over, shoving at the rotting arm as Yates struggled to hold the door closed, but the checkout lane zombies were closing in fast. Fuck it, Becker grunted and stepped back, aiming his gun through the hole to shoot the offender in the head. Yates shoved the corpse out of the way and got the door closed and locked. The soldiers had no choice when they whipped around but to open fire on the oncoming zombies, regardless of the fact that the electronics department horde was likely on its way. So much for plan A, Yates sighed as the last corpse fell, leaving a gooey mess all over the nearest conveyor belt. Plan B it is then, Becker replied. His companion raised an eyebrow. Wait, we have a plan B? Yep, Becker declared as he checked his weapon. Run and gun. Yates let out a deep whoosh of breath. I was hoping for something a little more thought out, but desperate times and all. He checked his own gun, and they moved to the main aisle. As they reached the open area, there were about 30 zombies ambling up the aisles towards them. The duo spread out a little and took aim, carefully placing their shots. Corpse after corpse fell, but even with the precision shooting, the horde seemed never-ending. Fall back to the front door, Becker said as the wave grew closer. As they turned, another dozen or so zombies flooded towards them from another aisleway. They fired, dropping about half of them before they both ran out of ammo. Yates swapped his magazine as Becker grabbed hold of a shopping cart from the cache. He ran towards the smaller group, smacking into the lead zombie, the momentum flipping it forward into the cart. He plowed the remaining moaners, sending them tumbling back to the linoleum. As they floundered around, struggling to get up, 
He pulled his handgun and quickly executed them before finishing off the one in the cart. Yates caught up to him, taking a defensive position as Becker reloaded his rifle. Solid move, he huffed. Thanks, used to watch reruns of Supermarket Sweep with my mother, Becker replied as he clicked a fresh magazine into his gun. Taught me a thing or two about proper cart mechanics. They turned towards four zombies emerging from an aisle to their right. They raised their weapons and took them out quickly before turning back to the main group coming from the center aisle. We're burning through way too much ammo, Yates worried. Becker waved for him to follow. I've got an idea, come on, he said, and led him down the opposite side of a large freestanding metal display. Start rocking this bitch so we can tip it over. Yates caught on, and they wrenched it back and forth. The noise, coupled with their grunts, caused the zombies to stay on the other side of it slapping the metal instead of streaming around to the back. Push, Becker screamed, and the soldiers both heaved with all their strength, finally pushing the beastly unit over. It crashed down onto the horde, crushing skulls and bones. A few towards the rear simply fell back, but Yates opened fire, taking them out with precise headshots before they could get up and clamber over their fallen brethren. Becker listened to the moans and groans coming from beneath the display and pushed against it with his boot. It didn't budge an inch. Well, they may not be dead, he said, but I don't think they're going anywhere. Yates nodded. Agreed. Let's do another quick sweep of the store to make sure there aren't any stragglers, Becker suggested. Then we can get what we need and get the fuck out of here. I'll do the sweep, Yates replied. You hit hardware and get that metal saw to Jean so she can start opening up the truck. Becker nodded. Sounds good. Meet back at the garden center in five. Chapter 15 Goodman sprinted through the trees, bobbing and weaving around trunks, brush scraping against his legs. He fired a few shots over his head with the assault rifle towards the horde behind him, but didn't stop to see if he'd hit anything. He was doing an okay job outrunning them, considering he had a lot more maneuverability, what with his being alive and all. He slowed to a jog as he pulled the map from his pocket, along with a compass. That hiking trail has got to be pretty close to here, he thought, scanning the paper. His eyes flicked up at the echo of moans in front of him, and he quickly pocketed his gear, taking aim at two zombies in the direction of the hiking trail. Fuck, they're in front of me too, he thought wildly, fighting to keep his breathing steady. He marched forward at a brisk pace, and when they were about ten yards away, he took them down with two quick shots. He double-checked to make sure they were fully dead and scanned the area ahead for more surprises. That'd better be it, Goodman muttered as he headed towards a bit of a clearing in the trees. The snarls behind him grew closer, and he sprinted forward, bursting into the clearing. The hiking trail ran right through it, and he turned in the direction he needed to go, seeing eight zombies staggering towards him in the dirt. He raised his rifle and managed to drop three of them before running out of bullets. He ejected the mag, but when he reached for another, his pouch was flat beneath his hand. Fuck. The ammo bag was in the tow truck. He threw his now useless assault rifle over his back, pulled out his handgun and machete, and darted towards the remaining five zombies in his way. Just before reaching them, he ducked under the arms of the one to the side and darted into the brush to get around them. Something gripped his belt, and he swung wildly with a scream, slicing down with a machete into a rotted wrist. It didn't come completely free of the arm it was attached to, and the hand still held fast. 
He fired point blank into the elbow, freeing himself and staggering back onto the trail. He sprinted along the trail, pumping his legs harder than ever before. His heart pounded in his ears, nearly drowning out the moans of the zombies coming through the woods to converge on the path. He passed a wooden marker that declared one mile until the end, and knew he wouldn't be able to keep this pace for much longer. He slowed down to a more manageable jog, just fast enough to keep the distance between him and the horde consistent. Occasionally, a straggler would wander onto the path from the trees, but Goodman dodged them easily, not wanting to waste precious time stopping to fight. He finally came to the end of the trail, reaching a parking lot filled with several cars and even more zombies. He skidded to a stop to catch his breath for a few moments, spotting the interstate in the distance. He just had to get there, and then it would be a straight shot to the landing site. He took a deep breath and jogged to the left, giving the parking lot zombies a wide berth. They turned to stagger after him, but most of them just bonked around the cars like rotted pinballs, giving him enough time to tear to the on-ramp. Fucking hell, Goodman huffed, at the sight of several hundred zombies packing the road. They were likely the horde that had followed the tow truck rumbling by earlier. He looked at his handgun and then holstered it. There would be no use. He didn't have near enough rounds to deal with a horde this size. He turned to run back down the ramp, but the zombies from the woods had caught up to him, filling the road quickly. A frustrated scream tore its way from his throat, and he ran to the edge of the ramp, leaning over the concrete edge to look down. There was a steep embankment filled with thick brush, and he couldn't tell how deep it was. Yeah, this isn't going to feel good, he thought, and sheathed his machete. He hopped over the concrete wall and slid down into the brambles, sharp branches slicing open his arms and face. He covered himself as best he could, falling into a roll at the bottom. His knees hit the asphalt of the frontage road hard, sending jolts of pain up his thighs. But he had no time to think about that, as moans echoed around him, closer than the ramp. He staggered to his feet, shaking his head to stave off dizzy exhaustion, and spotted a sign pointing down a side street, that boasted river access. Guess I'm going for a swim, Goodman gasped the words to himself and hobbled down the road as the moans behind him grew louder and denser. He finally spotted the water, and only two zombies stood in his way. He drew his handgun and fired twice, putting a bullet in each skull, and glanced over his shoulder at the ocean of rotting flesh pursuing him. He holstered his weapon and splashed into the water the cold a welcome boon to both his overheated body and his exhausted brain. He flipped over onto his back and began a nice, lazy backstroke, enjoying the relative safety of the water as the creatures lined up on the bank. Fuck each and every last one of y'all, Goodman declared, giving the zombies the finger. He let out a laugh, a note of hysteria in his voice at how he'd managed to survive this far. Chapter 16 Yates strolled up to the garden center door, having completed his sweep. You okay? He furrowed his brow. Becker sat on the floor, head buried in his arms resting on his knees. He raised a hand without raising his head, and motioned to the door before letting his arm flop back down. Just, just take a look, he said, voice muffled by his arms. Yates stepped up pressing his face against the small rectangular window looking out over the outdoor center. What the hell, he breathed, eyes widening. The place was jam-packed full of nearly a hundred zombies. 
How are there so many of them in there? Fuck if I know, man, Becker moaned, finally raising his head to look helplessly at his companion. It almost looks like someone decided to use this as a storage facility for the sick once people started to turn. Regardless of why they're in there, I have no idea how we're pulling this one off. Yates cocked his head, stepping back from the door. I've got an idea, give me a minute. He headed off back into the store, and Becker stared up at the ceiling, fighting to control his breathing. In the distance, there was a beeping noise, and it got closer and closer, until Yates came around the corner, riding a small forklift. He slowed to a stop and opened the driver's door. What do you think? Yates asked. Becker threw his hands up. What do I think about what? He snapped. You want me to compliment your ability to drive one of those things? No, we can use this to get past those zombies and get the seeds, his companion replied. Becker blinked at him. Okay, um, how exactly? Well, the cab is well protected, so they won't be able to get in, Yates said, patting the open door. And we can grab a pallet out of the back so you have a platform to ride on. Becker shook his head and then blinked at his companion again, face ashen. So, he began, and cleared his throat before continuing. Your plan is for me to surf on a forklift above a sea of flesh-eating zombies. And grab the seeds, yeah, just like that, Yates confirmed, and cocked his head as his friend massaged his temples in shock. I mean, if you have a better idea, I'm all ears, he shrugged. Silence. Well? No, I don't have a better fucking idea, Becker growled. I'm just trying to delay the inevitable of me pallet surfing over a sea of death. Yates grinned. I'll go get a pallet then. God damn it, Becker muttered, as his companion put the forklift into reverse. A few minutes later, Jean stood beside the garden center door, ready to throw it open. You ready to do this? She asked, raising an eyebrow at Becker, who bounced back and forth on the balls of his feet, testing his footing on the wooden skid. Fuck no, I'm not ready to do this, he grunted. I think he's about as good as he's going to get, she said. Agreed, Yates replied, leaning at the forklift door. When I give the signal, you throw open the door. As soon as we're through, you slam it shut. When we come back, we'll be coming in hot, so be ready. Jean nodded. I will be. She snapped her fingers. Oh, I almost forgot. She reached into her back pocket and grabbed a bright pink canvas bag holding it out to Becker. He took it, a look of distaste evident on his face as he unfolded the offending fabric, complete with smiling purple flowers printed on the side. You know, for the seeds, Jean explained, and scratched the back of her head nervously under his death glare. Yates, you better head out before he strangles me, she joked. On your mark, the driver replied, and settled into his seat, closing the door securely. He cracked the window just in case he needed to talk to Becker. She nodded at him before jerking the door open, and he floored the accelerator, picking up a head of steam as they sped into the garden center proper. The door slammed shut behind them, and Yates paused, getting the lay of the land. Holy fuck, there are runners, Becker cried, motioning to a few fast-moving zombies approaching them. Yates shrugged. As long as they aren't climbers, you should be okay he called as he moseyed the forklift along the aisles. Motherfucker, don't even joke about that, Becker snarled as the zombies reached them. They smacked against the sides, leaving bloody handprints along the outer edge of the vehicle, 
but otherwise parting as it bumbled happily along the aisle. The next one is ours, Becker pointed, keeping a wide-legged stance and trying not to look down at the sea of hungry monsters waiting to devour him if he fell. Yates drove slowly, allowing Becker to grab handfuls of seed packets and stuff his pink canvas, full to bursting with various fruits and vegetables. I think we're good, he called back, tying the handle securely so nothing would fall out. Let's get the fuck out of here. Yates pointed past him. There are still more seeds that way. We're past the food and into the flowers now, Becker replied. Yates cackled as he sped up to outrun their followers. Don't you think some roses would brighten up the stadium? I'll draw you a fucking picture, now let's go, Becker demanded, bracing himself against the roof of the forklift as they turned the corner at the end of the aisle. They put some distance between them and the horde, but three runners had pushed through the main group and were catching up. Becker wedged the bag of seeds securely between his feet and drew his rifle, leaning on the roof to aim. He managed to drop one, but couldn't manage to hit the other two with their erratic speed. Fuck, I can't get them, he cried. Yates slammed on the brakes and drew his handgun, rolling down the window. They reached the driver's side, screeching, and he quickly dispatched them at point-blank range, blowing rotted brain matter all over the garden hoses. He dropped the gun into his lap and floored it again, speeding towards the door. Gene opened it to allow them to speed through, and then slammed it again behind them clear of the disappointed zombies on their tail. Yates lowered the pallet so that Becker could jump off, and he let out a deep sigh of relief as his boots hit the floor. Did you get what we need? Jean asked, double-checking the door before heading over to him. Becker grinned, holding out the ridiculous pink bag. I hope you like salad. Well, I always said it would be the end of the world before I went on a diet, she replied with a relieved laugh. Turns out I was right. Yates jumped down from the forklift, and the trio headed for the storeroom, in significantly better spirits than when they traveled the other way. Are we loaded up? Becker asked. Jean nodded. Loaded up and got the hole in the roof cut, she confirmed. We're ready to head back to the chopper. Becker let out a deep sigh of relief. Let's head out then. Chapter 17 Jean drove slowly along the interstate so that she could weave around the random, broken-down cars strewn along the highway. The turnoff to 74 South should be just up ahead, she said. Then just a hop, skip, and a jump away from the landing site. Yates took a deep breath. Hope the other group was able to get the fuel. Well, if not, we got enough food to start our own little colony together, Becker piped up. Jean rolled her eyes. No offense, boys, but that doesn't sound too appealing to me. What, you don't want to play dead mother to a couple of rough and tumble soldiers? Becker teased, and then lashed out to brace himself as she slammed on the brakes. Damn, sorry, didn't realize it was that bad of a suggestion. No, she snapped. Look. The soldiers stared down the interstate, seeing a shambling horde of hundreds of zombies just past the turnoff to the 74. Fuck, Becker breathed. If we turn off now, then they'll just follow us to the landing site. Yates leaned forward. Jean, if you would, please pull up to those cars just by the turnoff. What the fuck are you going to do? Becker demanded. His companion reached into the ammo bag and pulled out a block of C4, wiggling it in the air with an excited grin on his face. Becker scoffed. You've had that this whole time? Just saving it until we really needed it, Yates replied with a shrug. His companion threw his hands up. 
Yeah, I mean, it's not like we've been trapped and surrounded by zombies how many fucking times this trip. It just goes to show how much confidence I have in your abilities, O oh leader, Yates drawled. Becker glared at him. We're having a chat once we get back to the stadium. Yates chuckled as Gene stopped beside a large pileup of cars. He hopped out and attached explosives to several areas of the vehicle wreckage, and then clambered back up into the cab. Okay, we're good, he declared. Gene popped the truck back into gear and took the ramp to the 74. About a half mile or so down the road, Yates grinned and hit the detonator. The explosion was immediate and so powerful that the truck rocked on its tires. Christ, Becker cried. How much of that stuff did you use? Yates shrugged. I don't know, a couple of blocks? Felt like you used enough to level a couple of blocks, his companion muttered. Just wanted to make sure the zombies stayed attracted to that and not to us, Yates explained. Becker let out a low whistle. Well, if that doesn't do it, then nothing will. Holy fuck. As they pulled up on the landing site, the mood in the cab rose to significant heights at the sight of a tow truck with a fuel tanker attached to the back of it. Strickland and Paul were in the midst of gassing up the helicopter, and the corporal turned to the trio as they bustled out of the transport. What in the hell was that explosion? he demanded. Was that you? Becker pointed both hands at his companion. That was all Yates, he said, and raised his palms. He decided we needed a diversion for the horde on the interstate. Good to know they don't teach subtlety in basic anymore, Strickland said, raising an eyebrow. Yates simply grinned. Didn't seem like a subtle kind of moment, Corporal. Apparently, Strickland replied dryly, and then glanced back to Becker. Did you get what we needed? We have enough food on the truck to last us a couple of weeks, Gene cut in. Seeds to start growing, and I have all the information we need to keep us stocked until we become self-sufficient. The corporal let out a deep sigh of relief. That is fantastic news. Becker furrowed his brow. Hey, where's the youngster? Strickland clenched his jaw and frowned. He led a group of ghouls away from us so we could secure the fuel, he said. Been trying him on the radio, but I haven't been able to get a hold of him. He's a tough kid, Yates piped up. He'll be all right. I hope so, Strickland replied somberly. But nothing we can do about it right now, so let's get this chopper loaded up. Becker nodded. Yes, sir. They pulled canned goods from the truck and loaded the cargo holds of the chopper until Paul declared them near dangerously overweight. As he closed the hatches, there was a rustle in the bushes behind them. Becker and Strickland spun around, aiming their rifles at a smirking private Goodman. You weren't going to leave without me, were you? He asked as he trudged towards them, soaking wet. A huge smile broke out on Strickland's face as he clapped him on the back. Wouldn't dream of it. He frowned at the sight of crimson lines crisscrossing the young man's skin. Good Lord, is that your blood or zombie blood? Little from column A, a little from column B, Goodman admitted. Took a nasty trip through some brush on the side of the interstate. The corporal gave his shoulder a light squeeze. When we get back, your first visit is to the infirmary. Yes, sir, Goodman replied. Paul leaned out of the chopper. Hey, y'all ready to get the hell out of here? He asked. I know I am. Strickland nodded and waved the private forward. After you, Goodman. The young man went up first as the helicopter whirred to life, the rest of the team following. They secured their belts, and hope soared in their chests 
as the chopper began to climb into the air, full of food and seeds and gas. From the air, they watched the fire raging on the bridge at the interstate, hundreds of zombies massed around it, some flailing in the flames. The landing site was completely clear, hopefully leaving their fuel supply safe for the time being. The sun hung low on the horizon as the bird headed back for their stadium home, each team member thankful in their own way that they'd fulfilled their mission of keeping all of the survivors back there alive. End of book four. Coming soon, we go back to our fearless rail riders as they clear a path to the northwest in Heartland, part three.